0: Hey, extraneous listeners, wanted to take a minute before we get into the show to talk to you about Loot Crate. Loot Crate is the original fan-powered subscription. They partner with entertainment,
1: gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly-themed crates. You can choose from a ton of different crates, from specific franchises like Marvel to general themes like anime, gaming, sci-fi, and more. They're also a company
0: run by fans, like Mischief Media. They unabashedly celebrate nostalgic moments and characters, from famous heroes to infamous villains and everyone in between. And they work directly with creators and licensed partners to make new products that fans will be stoked to
1: see. And they offer local shipping in a ton of different countries, so if there's certain in loot or merch that you can't usually get because you live outside the U.S., you should definitely check Loot Cray out. What does loot mean? Loot. Like, you know, treasure.
0: Oh my god. That, I think I just realized the name (laughs) Loot
1: (laughs) Cray. I'm obsessed with that and I'm leaving it in this ad read. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. I will be that person. I think I just assumed it was like a gaming thing (laughs) and just went about my life. Like I just
1: signed off that like loot was a thing I just didn't get. I mean, like, it kind of is a gaming thing, but also, like, it's a gaming thing from reality, kind of. No, 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 I'm there. So go ahead and click the link in the description and use the code dot pod for 15% off of your first order.
0: That's code DOTPOD, D-O-T-P-O-D, for 15% off at LootCrate.com. Just click the link in the description to get started.
1: Welcome to another episode of Extraneous Supernatural Edition. We're laughing because we haven't done this in a while, and it's hard, guys.
0: Yeah, we apparently just like don't know how to record a podcast. If you don't <laughs> record a podcast every week on Friday, like clockwork, you stop being able to do it, and yeah. the holidays ruined us.
1: <laughs> so much for like it being like riding a bicycle. I definitely have trips. We, It's great. We're so glad to be here and to still be talking about Supernatural in the year 2020. 20- Twenty one, but we're gonna figure it out we're gonna figure it out uh i'm gonna say a thing that we forget to say sometimes and that's extraneous supernatural is part of the mischief media network you guys if you go to mischiefmedia.com or you check out any of our socials you can see all the really cool podcasts that are on the network there's a bunch and spoiler alert there's gonna be more soon it's wild <gasps> Like what? What's coming? I can't tell. That's a super secret. (laughs) Oh, no. Like, I'll tell you. I just can't tell them.
0: Sorry. (laughs) Well, that's really exciting. Yeah, Mischief Media has a bunch of very cool podcasts. I don't know if I've told you this, but I have had the Christmas Carol episode of Nonplussed like saved in Instagram forever. I mean, it must have come out like three or four weeks ago. Like it was a while ago. Yeah. And I clicked saved like I'm gonna come back to this and my Instagram saved is just like random things for
1: years.
0: Mood. But one day I will listen to it because I'm really excited and The Muppets Christmas Carol is
1: my favorite Christmas movie. Like especially if you're having moment you're like, God, I'm just tired. And it's like, you know what, I can do Christmas things at any time of the year. I'm an adult and I can pick that. (laughs) Also, I'm on that episode. So if you want to hear my dulcet tones on a different podcast, I'm on that one.
0: That's exciting. Yes, I will listen to it. And listeners, you all should listen to it as well.
1: Yeah. So remember, head to mischiefmedia.com, check out all of our cool shows and all of our cool goings on.
0: That's the end of that on with the show. My name is Takia. My name is Leah. And look, we did
1: that at the top. So we must know how to record a podcast. Every second that goes by, we get better. So if you're like, hey, What are we talking about now that Supernatural is over? Good question, because we had it ourselves and we had a lot of discussions about it. So much. There's so much to talk
0: about. And I'm excited to dig into different characters and different themes and not go episode by episode like we've been doing. It's nice to like sit back and look at the
1: oeuvre of Supernatural. The oeuvre. Yeah. No, I I wholeheartedly agreed. So we've decided that the first thing that we wanted to talk about in terms of characters is we are starting with the angels fam as it were.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we are going to break this up into, I think, three episodes, depending on how long we talk about any one piece of this. <laughs> and we're going to like really dig into the way Supernatural has taken angels and made them like, a living and breathing family. And like, I can see them all around the dinner table. And those personalities are so interesting and fun to look at with each other. And so we're going to talk about them over the next three weeks? Them around a
1: dinner table family. It's a very fraught dinner table with lots of emotions and baggage. (laughs) People are just throwing biscuits. (laughs) But... And for this episode, we thought it only right to start with the patriarch of the family, as it were, our favorite, worst celestial ever, and yours, Chuck, Shirley. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I love, and maybe
0: this kicks off the conversation, but I love that we still refer to him as Chuck. Right? Like, there's just something really nice about over the story arc of this character, like, we get to know that he is god- himself the patriarch of not only like this family but also like you know the being that people are praying to all the time and this all powerful and like goes to all of these different worlds and you know he's god yeah like the god capital g
1: o d (laughs) yeah but we still are just like ugh, chuck (laughs) yeah we're gonna be talking about this sort of within the canon of the show like if we're investigating characters like it's less about what the writers were trying to do and more about how the characters interact with each other right yeah but i think it's one of the smartest things they could have done is make sure that the character looks like after the revelation of Chuck especially. Make sure the character looks at the boys and goes, "You can call you can call me Chuck." It allows us to still have that very like personable, like ground-level relationship with this character so whether he is almighty and benevolent or whether he is like an evil weasel, like we're still he's just Chuck, you know what I mean? So, definitely one of the best moves the writers pulled there. Yeah, absolutely. So, where do we start? I mean, we have to start with Chuck's introduction and that is inside of the show we learn when we first meet Chuck, Chuck is a writer, a prophet. He is a guy for all intents and purposes. Um, and for a very long time, he is that.
0: I think we all know that Monster at the End of this book is my favorite supernatural episode. Wait, um, stop. This
1: is the great news. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs>
0: I literally can, like, see Monster at the end of this book playing behind my eyelids. I have seen it so many times. But I love the introduction of Chuck as this sort of like hapless writer, like in his bathrobe, like not only is he not yet God, but he's also just like not yet someone who understands even the base level of powers that he has. And when Sam and Dean show up, it's, almost like confrontational yeah right like they are almost in that first moment have sort of an adversarial relationship because they're trying to figure out what's going on and like you know why someone would think that they were larping as themselves <laughs> as well as like chuck assuming that i don't know they're like crazy stalker fans and coming to terms with this realization that he can see the future or what, whatever. It's such an interesting interplay in like those first couple of scenes where you're just like watching Chuck who like, you know, with the wholeness of Supernatural we now know is God try to understand what's happening. I love looking back at that and assuming that, like, Chuck was God all along. And, like, what is this long game that Chuck is playing? Yeah. Because I think that it just, like, makes all of those moments, like, really meaty and interesting.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think, first of all, I, I can't get over how hilarious it is that we are intro to Chuck and the whole gig is the boys being like how dare you think that like you have any right to our lives and did it or whatever and stop writing and he's like I can't help it and then we get to the end and it's like how dare you think you can just dictate our lives they're our lives and then it's like I can't help it and then they kill him um uh, <laughs> <laughs> well they let him die but like what a what a bookend like how how the boys go uh, in against Chuck versus how they go out against Chuck is like kind of symmetry
0: I mean once Chuck accepts that Sam and Dean are real like one of his first one of the first things he says to them is like I'm a God like I made you yeah and like oh what a beautiful frame to then like have that realization and get
1: to the end you're right like it's a really beautiful bookend I think one of the things I kind of want to look at especially at Chuck in season uh four and five is that under the assumption and this and this has to be the assumption we take based on where the character goes but under the assumption that Chuck Chuck has always been God Chuck when he opens the door in the monster at the end of this book is God. And one of the, I think, most interesting, interesting questions there um, is then what what is he doing? <laughs> I don't know, vacation. Like,
0: if you think about Chuck in reference to who he must have been right after caging Amara, um, I imagine that like, that's the break point, right? Like when he puts away the darkness, creates Earth, and he seems like once he created Earth, he was kind of over it. And so I imagine this Chuck as, like, a god who just wanted to hang out with his creations, right? Like, just wants to, like, wander around. I honestly, like, think of him as maybe being around since, like, the beginning, in quotes, and just, like, hanging out and deciding, I guess, after thousands of years of being on Earth, he was just gonna, like... Right in this, I don't know hovel of a midwestern writer. Like, it's just such an interesting place for him to end up. Yeah, like my head canon, I guess, is that Chuck has like been around, has like been on Earth and
1: maybe hiding from the angels and and everything for a while. I mean, we have to assume that it has been at least a while because the whole gig is that God is gone, has been gone from heaven for a while, and he doesn't want to be found. And he's active in the sense that he has resurrected Sam and Dean a number of times because you know they're his favorite show or at least from where they are in season five, they are needed in order to quote stop the apocalypse. And it sounds by the way that the angels speak that God has been gone for a minute. Yes. Yeah. I do wonder like was it I, I feel like it can't be like from Adam and Eve times, right? Like it had to have been a little bit later than that. That he like disappeared from heaven because then I mean did it I don't know so they I suppose cage
0: Amara then Lucifer falls then God is sad because his sister and
1: his favorite are gone and then he like hangs out on Earth right but Lucifer falls because he hates humanity so humanity has to exist for a bit before Lucifer you know takes the big plunge creates demons gets caged
0: I literally don't know enough about the Bible to keep it at this fuck the Bible supernatural. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know, like Supernatural doesn't really get into Adam and Eve that much, like even in the episode with Adam, because I don't know the sequence of events or like the sense of time we're supposed to think past between Lucifer falling and Eve eating the apple. And like, what's that like, right? Like, my question is like, what's that sequence? Yeah, because if Lucifer falls before he tempts Eve, then I imagine that God has been on Earth since about that time. I
1: feel like he can't tempt Eve prior to falling. Yeah, right? Or at least prior to being caged, because like, I feel like that's part of the reason that they're like, Lucifer, you big jerk, is the temptation, I have to assume. Do you think, sorry, this is so random, and
0: this is what these episodes are going to be like, uh, (laughs) but do you think in the world of Supernatural, then Lucifer tempting Eve was kind of like him reaching out to Sam from the cage? Like, was he, like, was it a Lucifer in her head?
1: Oh, interesting. I mean, a little bit, like we see, God, we're going to do a whole episode in which we ta- discuss like the Angel Brothers, the the primary archangels, as it were. Yeah. Um, and so we can talk about this there is when we do that episode. But like, yeah, it seems similar. And we see a lot of Lucifer taking the forms of others in order to tempt. So he takes the snake to speak to Eve and to tempt her with the apple and knowledge and all of that stuff. We see him take the visage of Mark Pellegrino's wife, because <laughs> I can never met Nick. We see him take the visage of Nick's wife. And we see him take... Jess for Sam like so he mm-hmm. does he does do that like that is very similar
0: interesting interesting yes
1: you're right we should pin
0: this for the next episode and get back to chalk I think we can all agree that like Chuck has been on Earth for a while and like whether that's like exactly around the time Adam and Eve are leaving the paradise or whatever or if it's before that time. Mm-hmm. I imagine that he's just kind of been like watching humanity develop and intervening for kicks when he wants to. Yeah. Otherwise just like letting bad things happen when he doesn't. It's interesting to me that they paint Chuck as so such a like mercurial god I think like he just is like going with his whims
1: yeah you know chuck showing up in the monster at the end of this book like he has a line inside of the episode that's like got really vonnegut and he's like kilgore trout vonnegut like this is the part where i write myself in and you can almost looking back on it see like the smirk he has as he Uh writes that sequence Uh like the ah yes this is my grand entrance in my dirty bathrobe in my shitty hovel house covered in booze and paper and and bad writing like you know this is like he sees himself as coming in and act to this grand sort of I mean act two in a play not act two in the world but like this is his this is his big number and he's so excited and then he continues to play like that which i think is fascinating like episodes that move further forward he's always squirrely he's yeah. always nervous in the real ghostbusters he's pathetic mm-hmm. like before the 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 finale of season five like dragging himself into oblivion and calling sex lines and stuff like that like it is very, <laughs> it is it is very much like Chuck is just like sad and for some reason that's the role that he thinks is the best to play in this moment
0: yeah i mean i guess it's the way that he's able to mask the true power that he holds right it's to Mm -hmm. be as unassuming as possible chuck is endearing early on like i i really love chuck as a character both from like a is created in a cool way as well as just like i don't know in the beginning when you don't realize that he's god it's still just kind of like fun to see this guy not want the power that he has i don't know there's something in that tension that i find really compelling and interesting and so i really like chuck but i also think that there's something in his being like there's something in his mannerisms and in the way that he moves through the world that is like a weasel that is like so pathetic that you almost look away like it is something that Castiel's going to overlook this person this character because he is so not even just like unassuming but like closed in like Chuck's personality to me seems like someone that's like shriveling
1: away from power yeah no I love that a lot and I think it's really interesting too because he's got that bit not him Joshua so there's the bit where in Dark Side of the Moon Joshua tells the boys that God's not in heaven he's like God has a message for you stop looking for me and knowing that god is chuck on earth and that he's inserted himself into this story and we end season five with no revelation right like we we go like another seven or eight years without him revealing himself and you kind of wonder if there's these moments of chuck is like i said don't look for me don't find me you can't find me and it's like how long in those seasons is he sitting there like god but they haven't found me yet
0: I'm sure that is that is a very Chuck sentiment. I'm sure that he's like sitting around twiddling his thumbs peeking in on the Winchesters being like when are they gonna
1: start looking for me again? Come on. (laughs) Like I think that plays into like his cameo in fan fiction. The first time he shows up in five years is to cameo at the very end of fan fiction to watch a high school musical based on his story. And it's almost like that moment of like, I missed somebody actually congratulating me for something I actually did. Because like, I don't know, he doesn't get enough applause when he plays guitar in a bar.
0: Let's talk about fan fiction, because that is a fascinating appearance because like not only is he just like showing up randomly for the first time in years, but also he basically is Calliope, right? Like he's showing up in order to be Mm worshipped because he just like gets his kicks out of watching people like fangirl him. And it's so interesting because Calliope's been the villain of the episode. Yes. And like
1: that's like literally what Chuck is doing. Yeah, how it's so easy for us to overlook, especially watching it, you know, as fans and you're like oh my god it's chuck he's there he's seeing things oh my god he's gone like but actually you're right we just got told that calliope was the villain the person showing up here to soak up all the adoration over venerating the story and the writer of it and all that other stuff and here is the guy who wrote the story being there you're like oh wait hold on aren't you also the villain and we don't see it yeah oh Oh, that's so so good good. it's
0: so good (laughs)
1: Should we talk about Swan Song? I feel like that's another moment where like in in this, it's one of those things where like, I keep trying to define supernatural in different terms when it, it's just a TV show. I don't know why I don't use television <laughs> terms, but I'm like, if he shows up in, late into act two and then this play ends with Swan Song, like he gets this really great exit as well as his entrance. He gets to monologue. He suddenly is in the spotlight. He gets a whole new costume. Oh, man.
0: There are a couple of things that's interesting here, right? Like Swan Song, especially the end as he's like wrapping it up, I guess, is so familiar. Like it's so foreshadowing what we saw this most recent season, which is 15 Mm -hmm. of Chuck, like writing this story and like Uh, manipulating how things are going. Like, it reminds me so much of it. And at that point, while we're watching it as an audience, we assume that he's, like, writing down what he sees, which is a vision, quote-unquote, from God. And so... There's something in it that's like almost a temporal shift, right? It's like, what is the causality here? Is it happening because Chuck is writing it? Or is Chuck writing it because it's happening? Mm -hmm. And then he disappears. And it's sort of like, what am I supposed to make of that? But then the story... Itself carries on, right? Like, we assume that, like you were saying, this is a great swan song, honestly, (laughs) for Chuck. If he shows up at the end of Act Two and then gets this big, like, explosion ending, like, very Mm -hmm. action hero, beautiful, sad, yada, yada, of the boys sacrificing themselves for the world and, like, going out in a blaze of glory then it doesn't happen. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting and maybe like in light of some of the things that we saw in season 15 and some of the things that he said, specifically in like criticizing Castiel and like the, the role that all of these different characters were playing in shifting the story um, and making these the Winchesters that he likes the most. But it's interesting to me Where he goes, I guess that like, if what Chuck wanted to do is to be able to see and like play a role at the end of this story that he enjoys so much, when it doesn't end, isn't that like, anticlimactic? And like, what's next for Chuck?
1: I also feel that there is something similar to that. Does this invalidate, is this the first moment where, it doesn't invalidate, right? But like, is this the first moment where it feels as though this could invalidate the boy's story? Because if Chuck is a prophet and he is writing that which he sees and he's writing the Winchester Gospels and all of that, this is a story worth telling and this is a story worth recording and remembering. But when Chuck disappears and then you assume he's God and therefore... He wasn't observing, he was crafting. Does that invalidate what the, the choices the boys make? And I think it's one of the moments that we subconsciously note and don't necessarily pick up on as an audience because of the fact that Swan Song was this big finale and it was emotional and all that other stuff. But again, looking at it, like you were talking about through season 15's lens, this is one of those moments where you like get a little bit caught up in the what is the free will and the choices being made by our heroes, by our main characters, and what is being written down by a capricious writer. Mm -hmm. It changes your not necessarily opinion of the episode but it can change your read on what you're watching. Mhm. I agree with all of that. One of the things honestly since
0: Mariah is just like I am blown away and like again we're going to talk about these characters like within the show but I with Chuck especially you can't help but like comment on the writing and crafting that's happening around it and like I am blown away by how that shift in Chuck's character immediately like almost like rewrites so much of what we saw and like creates a new way to understand all of his motivations and like changes the tenor of almost every episode that he has been a part of like yeah. every piece where he was inserting himself into the boy's story now becomes something different not just because like he is god but because he is like
1: obsessed with them yeah and then Simon, I think simultaneously as well, looking at Chuck in the in this moment in time at Swan Song, he he comes in as Chuck Shirley, he's he's Chuck Incognito, we now know he's God, and he disappears. And therefore, we know that Chuck the character or we assume that Chuck the character is God, and is just watching Chuck, the the good guy, Chuck, the guy that's been on the side of the brothers, he's worked with them. And he's behind the scenes. We see him pop up in season 10 in fan fiction. And we're like, oh, oh my God, Chuck, there he is. He just loves this story so much. We love him. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) And then Chuck does it again as a character does not re-reveal himself until uh, season 11 in Don't Call Me Shirley. And I think it's worth noting that at that point in time, Chuck kind of has another character reveal. The Chuck that we see while he attempts to lean into some of the Chuckiness that we knew prior, like, you know, he's kind of goofy and he's got the scraggle face he's playing guitar and he's a writer and all that but this chuck is still a little bit different and it's chuck playing another role as Mm -hmm. it were and this time Mm -hmm. chuck is pretending to be he is the capital g god in this one (laughs) he is all-knowing all-powerful but ultimately a good guy yeah i mean he is the
0: light right and that is uh just like i think what you're pointing to as him putting on another character that like Chuck Shirley is a character that he is stepping into. And now this God from all of the good books, right? This light, Mm -hmm. this person who created Earth and is this benevolent God is just a character. And Mm -hmm. I think that we start to see pieces of that. Uh, Within the like triad of episodes of like All in the Family, We Happy Few, Alpha and Omega. Mm -hmm. Mostly because everything about his relationship with Lucifer is infinitely fascinating. Yes. And that's where it becomes like, I'm playing nice, but don't step to me. Yes. Like there is a power bubbling beneath the surface and a desire to be understood in all of his glory i guess like this is this is the god that wants people to pray to him right yeah this is the god that's like know your place like now i'm god so you will respect me as such yes and like i'm not gonna give in or apologize to lucifer i'm not gonna right like there's just so much within those episodes where he's just like still playing the quote-unquote good role to amara's quote-unquote Dark or bad role, but he is this unyielding force that won't compromise and, like, won't explain himself. And Mm -hmm. I think that we're starting to see the glimpses of the god that we get in season 14 season 15
1: yeah no I agree with you and honestly I kind of think that again what's a writer choice in terms of outside of the canon of supernatural outside of the fiction of supernatural and what is a a character motivation or something like that but I almost think that you can see that as Chuck overplaying his role mm. he, he comes back as, as Chuck and I am the almighty and I am the light to the darkness that you have been fighting all season therefore I am the good guy but he gives himself Flaws. He gives himself written words that Metatron deems not great. He makes himself like he makes himself tired and like not willing to fight for humanity. He makes himself unyielding and unwilling to compromise with both the boys and also um, his favorite son in Lucifer. It is one of those things where you can read that as oh Chuck is is simply flaw-. like he's a huge celestial being that created everything and therefore is unyielding. But simultaneously, we see that from our human perspective, as flaws inside of a character. Mm -hmm. Did Chuck create flaws for himself and accidentally lean too heavily into them? Because Mm. in giving himself those flaws and playing up to it and not being pure and light and great and smiley and benevolent, are we able to see that which is manipulative underneath?
0: Mm, That is so interesting. Yeah,
1: I like this idea of
0: Chuck creating or like, uh, projecting flaws as a way to endear himself to Mm -hmm. both the boys and the audience that like, Chuck is writing himself as a sympathetic character so that people like him. And honestly, it makes him a little bit more human. Mm -hmm. It's easy, I think, for the audience to reconcile this quote unquote God with the Chuck Shirley that we knew before because of these types of flaws. And I think it is easier for the audience to accept that like there are limitations to what he's able to do because of, you know, the certain flaws that show up. We, the audience, as well as honestly, Dean brings up like, why aren't you helping? Yes. Humanity or whatever. We all are able to move past that really quickly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I think it's because he, like, creates these flaws. I think the moments for me that, like, are most telling are when he snaps back, when it's like, it's all fun and games until someone tries to treat me not like a god. Yes. And that is really, really interesting. And so I think your point about, like, playing too much into them is that, like, he clearly has an ego. Honestly, mm-hmm. he might be, like, the ego. He's <laughs> <Yeah>. the ego. <laughs> And he, I think, has trouble holding both the image of the character that he is trying to project in order to endear himself to, like, the boys and to the audience with the, like, pride that he clearly has just, like, in existence. And so, like, all of those moments where people, like, go along with the story that he's telling, when people, like, treat him like the character that he is projecting to them – he then, like, snaps back and is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And those are the moments where I'm like, oh, there's something, you know, yeah. you can see there's something there.
1: Yeah, because you're looking at this and, and you see flaws and it humanizes him and then the moments where he's not human is the moments where he appears evil. Mm-hmm. We simply, I think, as human beings, and I when I say we, I mean us as an audience and then also, like, the characters like Sam and Dean, we can't see creatures like that and understand them. There's a reason that things too big for our brains or too strange to our brains automatically, we want to be opposite towards. Mm -hmm. I think God is that. I think there's also something in that looking again at Chuck inside of the fiction of the world, Chuck loses this season, as far as I'm concerned. He does not win. He plays his hand that he's going to cage her again. Mara nearly kills him. Mm -hmm. And it's only through witchcraft and Dean does Amara back off. Mm -hmm. Is there potential that this is just another way that chuck was like i'm not done with this story just yet i need to push the boys a little bit harder can we put this back in chuck's court let's manipulate a little bit more let's bring their mom back huh that's a fun (laughs) new twist (laughs) like this kind of feels to me like chuck wants to hang around a little bit longer or at least watch his show a little bit longer you know what i mean i mean this is a character that
0: we are introduced to as like wanting to be front and center right like he wants he's writing himself into the story i can see the amara battle as a little bit of a test run of like what happens mm-hmm. what happens when we put the winchesters up against a celestial being yep it is a test run of like his grander end game of writing himself in as the big flourishing villain of the story yep. and i think that in part he loses so he isn't exposing all of his power yes
1: Yeah, he's keeping his mask
0: firmly in place. Yeah, it's a long game. I don't know. It's very, very, very interesting. I see Chuck and I guess God. I see God (laughs) as the type of character that like squirrels things away for later. Mm. Right? Like in theory, we just saw him consume Amara. Why didn't he just do that? from the beginning like why did he cage her then and create the mark of Cain and all of these things like why and I get the sense that Sometimes he's just curious, and what happens? Mm-hmm. There's just like a, well, this might be interesting later, so I'll just, you know, kick her into a box, hold on to her for later. Uh, Lucifer, similarly, right? It's like, yes, well, you've pissed me off, but you
1: might be interesting later. <laughs> so into yep. a box you go. It's like a writer putting a character aside. Like they introduce the character in book three, maybe, and they really like them, but they don't bring them back till book five. I want to keep you just in case.
0: Chuck really like likes to hold on to his characters um, and bring them back whenever he sees fit because he is God. I think that we see that with Lucifer. We see that with Amara, like so many of the characters that come back in fourteen, fifteen. It's just these seems to be like his favorites. You know, honestly, it's like the end of the series. I wanted to see my favorites, but apparently we just get to see Chuck's favorites.
1: Yes. And in speaking about sort of the season 14 and 15 Chuck, we move on in that sense in that we get the sort of final this sort of final character reveal. And also one, one last time, Chuck does make one last attempt to be a different character than what he is when he comes in in Mariah. And he's like scared of Jack. Although in <laughs> fairness is scared of Jack. Gives the boys a real gun that can actually hurt him and like attempt to set up the first of the many endings he thinks he wants. Um, and in this form it's it's the one in which the, the father kills the son essentially in Dean killing Jack. But it is interesting that Chuck comes back one last time and is like, maybe I can get away with this one last role that I'm playing in the purple kind of like really, it's not like velvet, it's something. It's a really nice cut suit <laughs> that he's got on. And he, like, you can imagine, like, flicking his cuffs out as he, like, checks for threads, like, one last moment, and then we finally see the sort of crack in the veneer when Sam notices that he is far too gleeful as he watches his story play out.
0: Do we think that that's the moment upon entering to tell the boys how to get rid of Jack or like end the chaos that Jack has sown? Does he actually want them to kill Jack? Or is he establishing himself as the big bad is he stepping into the role
1: i think that if we were looking this from an outside perspective i think this is an establishment but i honestly i think i can read it either way i think there's a part of me though that likes more the idea that chuck the character made the decision that this was his cool ending and he like he beefed it he homer simpson drooled <laughs> all over this potential ending and he got caught he forgot to act the role properly and in being so excited to finally see the avengers endgame of it all he beefed it and he got caught and then he had to and i because i think him getting shot is not something that he had anticipated i think this is the first big chuck mistake I don't think he planned getting shot or the boys doing whatever.
0: Yeah. Looking at season 15 and where we end up, the character that most complicates this for Chuck is Jack, right? And like, we will talk about Jack. Jack deserves his whole own episode. But I think the character that really throws a wrench and like makes it possible for the boys to defeat him or work outside of the story that chuck is creating is one that chuck is making a huge risk here right like showing showing your cards and like Mm -hmm. establishing this end game in this sort of way is a very cocky move oh yeah that is a huge huge risk on his part and then jack is a unknown quantity is a nephilim and that you know has never existed and like it's interesting to me that Chuck, first of all, comes in wanting to kill Jack because I think he needs Jack off the board for his spectacular
1: end, right? Mm-hmm. And it is interesting that he goes along anyway. I kind of wonder, like, I, I want to I walk back half of what I just said three and a half minutes ago. <laughs> I kind of wondered, like, I he, I think he does beef it. I think he does not mean to get caught, like, eating popcorn as he watches this scene fall out. But like earlier you were talking about how like uh, certain things are run throughs for his eventual revelation as the big bad. And I think Chuck as a individual who is so full of himself and so full of his own story would love to be the big bad in his own story. And I think he's excited for it. And I think you're right that he needs Jack out of the way because I think because Jack has the ability to take him out, that's a variable Chuck simply can't play with. I can imagine Chuck has the Abraham and Isaac moment with Dean and Chuck. He's so sad for the boys. He flits off again, waits a season, comes back as the big bad. I think to, like, the the destitute and depressed Winchesters as they stand. I don't know what those characters look like because we never saw them. But, like, there's a world in which Chuck is still trying to set up his eventual entrance as villain. It just happens in a way that he wasn't planning because he gets caught. He gets shot. He stamps his foot in a fit of rage. Like, sitting here, like, I think, I think he did overplay his hand. But I think that potentially taking out Jack was just making sure that he could be the villain and would be the winner.
0: A couple of things like really come to mind for me uh, as you were talking is one that like Chuck created a weapon that actually could hurt him. That is really interesting for the character as we know him. Mm -hmm. And I think that getting Sam to shoot Jack is a bit of a trial run, right? It's like, I made this thing. I don't know exactly what it does. Let's see what happens. (laughs) Can you kill a Celestial with this gun? Like, Mm -hmm. Jack seems to be the most powerful among them. I need Jack off the table. And also, can we test my new weapon just to see, like, what happens? Yeah. Uh, And I think that... The Chuck that we've seen over the course of Supernatural is a little bit of a junkie. Yes. Like once he introduces himself to this characters, once he is that hands on in this story, he just like can't stop himself. This Mariah moment is like, and first of all, I just, I feel like I just said Mariah moment, like Mariah Carey. (laughs) Chuck's got that good whistle. Doing riffs up and down. Sorry. This moment in Mariah, it's like his ultimate hit, right? Like he is setting up himself to be there at the end and he's adding a level of Uncertainty for himself Mm -hmm. because he's he's given them a tool that could
1: actually hurt him. Chuck is so blinded by the fact that he's God and he's all powerful and all that he is so unwilling to see a future in which he can possibly lose that he puts himself at risk for the more narratively interesting story. He gives the Abraham and Isaac moment and the real gun that could really hurt him when. A moment later, he smites Jack with the snap of his fingers, Mm -hmm. which he could have done. Mm -hmm. But it was so much more interesting to watch it play out this way. Mm -hmm. He literally risked himself in this moment for the juicy story because he was like, but nothing will happen to me. And like, flaw, baby, flaw, you messed up. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And like, he is clearly like hopped up on his own power And, like, trying to see what will make the best story and is, like, really intoxicated with this role of a lifetime that he's created
1: for himself.
0: (laughs) And you see, at the end of Unity, when he, like, comes out of the room, he is almost disappointed. Mm -hmm. He's almost, like... Come on, guys, just do it. Just do it. Just do, just play the roles. Like, I'm having fun here. Like, just do it.
1: Yeah, it's very much you foiled
0: me again. Like, he can't. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? And it's so interesting to me because I think that the thing that he loves the most about honestly these Winchesters humanity in general and this story that he has put himself into the thing that he loves the most about it is its uncertainty and that's what like gets him in the end yeah is that like
1: you think too highly of yourself and Mm -hmm. humans are you know wily honestly I think you think too highly of yourself Although, like, I feel like I would also think very highly of myself if I was God. <laughs> but you you think too highly of yourself. You underestimate the the sort of characters that you've created. And you are far too interested in your own story. Mm-hmm. Like, he has such blinders for it. Because I, I believe that from the moment that he stamps his foot at the end of Mariah until Unity, with, with some exception, yeah. But through Unity, that is the second story that he he is Mm -hmm. going for yeah because we see him uh injured and asking mara for maybe a bit of help get this bullet out of my shoulder so that the boys can't see my grand plan he goes to becky and borrows her laptop because he doesn't have respectable wi-fi at the starbucks like (laughs) he just he he pops in and out but we don't see him doing and, and potentially we see him doing other things like he captures eileen and sam but that's specific for bullet time like there is no other reason for him to do that like he's not trying to To mess anything else up. But, like, from that moment on, from the moment he starts writing again, he is aiming for unity. I think that's what we are supposed to suspect. And the fact that he is foiled again, and there were so many episodes in between. Yeah. uh, In between, like, it was, like, what, 17 episodes of television, which is an extensive amount of time in Worlds. All of that time spent just to get to this specific ending, and you blew it again because you forgot the same thing that you forgot when you did it in Mariah. You are... Not thinking about the human factor. Mm -hmm. He thinks Dean will do it in his anger and kill Jack and he doesn't. He thinks he can bring Sam to do it in desperation and forcing Sam to be a hero in Mariah, and Sam refuses. And then once again, same exact thing happens in Unity. He tries to force Dean to be more angry and he still won't do it. Mm -hmm. Sam still plays the hero, but against him. Like he makes the same exact mistakes and it's wild to me that for somebody that loves this story so much he was not paying attention yeah
0: you're right like you're right he gets too consumed by his own story to be able to see the full picture and like in part that's because he assumes that the things he doesn't know are irrelevant like mm-hmm. the things he the things he can't see are irrelevant. He's God. He's like you know. Sometimes you don't know if it's gonna be a forty year flood or whatever. Like there are little variances on humanity because they're cute and funny. But mm-hmm. like overall, I know everything, and so the things that I don't know are irrelevant. And like Jack is a huge blind
1: spot. Like Jack yes. is not like that is not an irrelevant spot it does interest me because the fact that chuck in mariah pits them against like it pits a father and son type thing against one another and then for some reason gets caught up in jack as power as celestial power uh-huh. and forgets once again the father-son aspect uh-huh. to it that he had already visited and it's like it, it, jack as blind spot for him is like he can only see one aspect of jack and i i, I do want to talk more about when we because we, we are going to talk about Jack um in a future episode but like I kind of want to talk about that because it's so fascinating to me because I feel like both of those things are so important to who Jack is and yet for some reason Chuck can only see one at a time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that like Chuck is spent so much time pretending to be human, he can't conceive of what it is to actually be human. Yeah. Right? He spent so much time honestly like constructing the character from the outside in and like shaping this chuck writer whatever um based on what he's able to put on and like how he his he moves around that he forgets that the humanness is actually inside and that there is like a an essence of human that like jack has and jack has had these like close human relationships in a way that like chuck honestly never has and probably like don't doesn't have the capacity for and so not only is jack a celestial but he's it's the like it's that he's a whole
1: different thing as you were describing that it, it made me think of um I know you don't play, but I'm sure uh, folks who listen do, and I'm sure you can also understand that when you play things like like tabletop role playing games, uh, like Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, and you come to the table with character you've made your character. <laughs> this is my, uh, my my race. This is my class. This is my specialties, and here's 15 pages of backstory. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Like you you've really thought about your character and your character's motivations. And then you get into the you get to the table and you're rolling dice and you're doing things, and you are so blinded by these 15 pages of backstory that you created because you like of your character that you forget sometimes the best part of playing a game like this in this scenario are the interactions and relationships that you create organically in real time with the players and the non-player characters during the game. (laughs) Genuinely, my 15 pages of backstory would never let me do X. Yeah, but everybody else in your party is doing X. And if you don't join the rest of the party to do it, you are missing the most interesting parts. You're missing the most, for lack of a better word, human aspects to this. Mm -hmm. It's a really common thing in role playing where you could just like get tied up in the thing that you created and forget to go moment by moment. And I think it is something that happens here as well. You got tied up in your backstory all that all that research you did to earn your BAFTA like you just <laughs> you forgot about everything else. I appreciate that he's winning the BAFTA <laughs> because only Chuck would perform in an American show and get a BAFTA. Oh, that is so funny! Um, first of all, I really
0: need you to do a uh, supernatural RPG game thing, whatever, um, because I think that it would be hilarious and
1: awesome. I have, I have actual ideas for that, but yeah,
0: I'm telling you, you have to. <laughs> like, you, I, I will play. I will. Would do you? Pl- it. I was like, would you play? I would play absolutely. And then yeah, you're right. Like that's <laughs> I love the idea of this all being kind of a role playing game, right? Cuz it's it's yeah. not just it's not just a play. It's not just that these characters are acting exactly the lines that Chuck has written for them. There's a there's a degree of like fun unknowing humanness to it. And Chuck definitely underestimates that and underestimates the adaptability of people. And, like, honestly, like, gets served on his ass. And, like, I hope he enjoys growing old as a human.
1: Yep. Which, of course, sort of brings us to the, the the final act of Chuck in that his first ending was spoiled by the boys. His second ending got spoiled again by the boys. And so I think then it's fascinating that for the last three episodes or so, what does Chuck do? He removes literally everything else he possibly can from the board because he can't lose this time. <laughs> He has to win this time. So let's just wipe the rest of the human race off the board. Get the boys really down in their feelings. Jack's either dead or useless. What does that matter? Like he literally tries very hard to make sure that this time his ending sticks. And his ending this time is just to beat the living hell out of (laughs) Sam and Dean. (laughs) Which is, that's a little like video game violent. I'm like, Chuck, you don't have to go that hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like he gets so frustrated writing these finales that he's like, oh, if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and it is glorious to watch him think that he is one
1: and then lose. And then lose spectacularly. I really do love that it's it's a mixture of his favorite characters just kind of like t- like taking a, ba- a back step in the end to give jack the moment the the character he created that he couldn't see fully is the person who comes from out of his field of vision grabs him and steals his power because he couldn't see him he literally couldn't and then he loses and then he's an old man and he gets i don't know he falls into the grand canyon and dies sucks
0: <laughs> no man he just like becomes a geriatric like hobbling along his you know, hips are aching. Like I want him to break down like a normal ass human. <laughs> he gets the worst flavors of pudding, and
1: he's like, "Come on, I don't you know I'm God." And it's like, "Sure, Charles, eat the vanilla pudding. It's all we got available." I was a writer, mm-hmm, sweetie. That's nobody reads books anymore. Come on. Uh. Do you want to play bingo? No, <laughs>
0: it sucks. <laughs> oh man i i really enjoy that i wish
1: that, i hope that there are some fanfics just of like old old chuck <laughs> oh no now i'm to write it i can't write shipper <laughs> things for supernatural i simply can't but i think i could write a crack hilarity thing <laughs> it's just chuck miserable in a nursing home for the rest of eternity <laughs> and all the other old people with him having a grand old time and chuck just in the corner miser <laughs> exactly Just as he deserves. Just
0: as he deserves. The perfect end for Chuck and the,
1: I suppose, end of this podcast. I would like to state, for the record, I wasn't sure on how this was going to go. And then we got into it and I was like, (laughs) that's right. I can just talk about these characters all day long. So I'm very glad this went this way. This was fun. I'm excited to do this now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, uh this was really fun. And also, I didn't, there's so much that like, just working through Chuck made me realize about other characters. And like, we've got a parking lot full of things <laughs> that will come back in uh the later episodes when we talk about, you know, the Angel
1: Brothers and Jack. Uh, so yeah, hope everybody enjoyed our talk about Chuck. Really excited to keep going on our uh, our angel fam uh, next week. We're going to talk about the uh, the angel bros as they were um, Lucifer, Michael, and Gabriel. Because Raphael doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, he's there, but he's like super not a part of this thing. He's just he moved across the country to do work <laughs> years ago. He does not come to family functions anymore. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Uh, and honestly, if you haven't gotten enough conversation about Chuck or you have other thoughts, uh, we would love to keep talking about this. I could probably keep talking about Chuck for like a good another hour, but we are not yeah. going to do that. Nope. Uh, you can reach us on social. We are at extraneous pod on Twitter and Extraneous.Pod on
1: Facebook and Instagram yes yes yes. please get us there this is also your reminder to go ahead and check out our patreon if you go to patreon.com slash making mischief um, you can check out all the cool stuff that's there there's bonus content from us um, there's bonus content from all the shows on our network um, and also access to a discord community guys the further into um, living in my house I get the more discord communities I'm joining and they they're actually kind of I, I like popping into them so um, if you like our show that's um, becoming a patron is the most direct way to support us, and like the five dollar tier, I think is the the tier that gets access to Discord. And um, yeah, like I I would highly suggest doing that. Plus, I want more friends in Discord to just talk to me about stuff. So there's that. Do that. Stay extra. Bye. Remember that if you want 15% off of your first order of the best in gaming and nerd and sci-fi gear, go ahead and head to LootCrate.com by clicking the link in our description and use code .pod at checkout.